This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I want to be warm for you, baby. I want to be warm for you, baby. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls. Which is a show that I love, but I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. This week, we watched Gilmore Girls Season 2, Episode 13, A Tisket, A Tasket. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 2, Episode 13, Surprise! I think both of these episodes sort of set up where the show's going. Yeah. Pivotal episodes. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of things changed for some main characters. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Don't forget, Brian has a stand-up show tonight. Yeah. If you missed the last episode, we told you all about how Brian's doing a college stand-up show, which is something he used to do IRL, but now he's doing it OTI. Is that over the internet? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be at 7 p.m. CST. That's Central Standard Time. Maryville University. Yeah, I'm excited. Do you know what you're going to do yet? I have some thoughts about what I'm going to do, but I haven't done a college in in months. I did one in September, and that went really great, but I've never done one totally virtually. Yeah. Just to be clear, we're recording this not the day of. The day you're listening to this, potentially, it's the day of the show. He'll have figured it out by that day. Or not. I'll just be like winging it. (laughs) I think a lot of people think that's what stand-up is, is that people just get up there and like whatever thoughts occur to them, whatever they divine from the ether, they just speak into the microphone. That's not how stand-up works. No. At this point, I could do your set probably. Yeah, probably. Better maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'll just do your set. I've been up to some ASMR. What? Yeah. I used to think it was dumb, but now at work, you throw some ASMR on, it's like, well, that's nice. Someone's giving me a head rub. He keeps trying to tell me it's not sexy, but I don't believe you. Just because they talk like this all the time doesn't mean that it's sexy. But one of them was like you getting kidnapped and one of them was like you getting your back worked on. Those are like intimate things. It's not a back rub. It's a chiropractor visit. Yeah, these are all very like procedural things you're doing. You made me listen to the eye doctor one for a second and she was like, okay, we're going to send your prescription off to the lab where they're going to put the lenses into your frames. I'm like, why are we... What, why are we listening to this? Is there anything else going on with you, Stace? I've just been writing some sketches. Yeah? Yeah. I think we'll film some of them soon. It sounds fun. Yeah. Some of them are surprises. Ooh. Surprises is what this episode's all about. You're right. Should we start talking about it? Let's talk about it. But first we're talking about Gilmore Girls. Brian, why don't you tell everyone what happened in A Tisket, A Tasket? Oh, yeah. We've got some plot seeds germinating here. This episode's about Rory spending some time with Jess and how that makes Dean upset and her mother upset and her grandmother upset. Essentially, this episode's just about how Jess ruins everything. Also, Miss Kim. So the episode starts in Dozy's supermarket. Is it his supermarket? I think it's just called a market. I don't know how super it is. Where everyone's buying baskets because the tisket, tasket, crazy event is happening where all the women pack a basket like a picnic basket and then they're auctioned off anonymously even though this is sort of like a wink wink nudge nudge you know who made this basket kind of deal and then the men bid on them and then the women as tradition demands uh, have to go on a picnic with whoever bought their basket does it have to be a man like could a woman bid on a basket 
I wondered the same thing, and I assume that you can, but that we don't see that. Because it suggested Lorelai maybe bit on her own, and she's like, I could never. But I don't know, if just because that seems desperate, or just like, because we got to be heteronormative. Yeah, I don't know. The show's got some weird sexual energy in that regard. Speaking of sexual energy, Patty's at the market. Patty's walking in, and she drops something from her purse, and lo and behold, it's a picture of Lorelai. Why does she have that, you might ask? And Lorelai does. It's because apparently she's, like, trying to get men to go out with Lorelai, and she's showing her picture to dudes, which is weird as hell. It is weird. It's not like she's her mom. Yeah, and Lorelai didn't ask. Well, Lorelai's not a fan of this. No, she's like, don't do it. She's like, okay, I won't. And she's gonna. Rory and Dean share a kiss, but then Jess shows up. And they're like, what do you want? And he's like, i just looking for some glue. Not my fault that you're there, guys. Whatever. He gets his glue and leaves. And then he comes back because he's a douche. Well, the glue's on sale, two for one. Which there's no sign. I guess Dozy just tells everybody that at the counter. So there's tension with Jess and Dean. There's a lot of tension. Dean, like, straight up says, like, I hate that dude. He's just always messing with me, which he legitimately is. Dean gets a lot of guys that are into Rory coming in and starting fights for no reason. Tristan did this at the market. Now Jess is doing this. Can Dean just work a job, please? There must be other girls in town, right? I mean, Rory's a catch. She's cute, funny, and smart. Not to mention, Miss Patty's probably showing her picture to everybody. At the end, Lorelai's looking at pictures of possible suitors that Miss Patty sent her. But also, Jackson's there, and he's telling Suki that it's time for him to renew his lease on his apartment. And she was wondering what she thought of it. And she's all like, oh, I don't know, maybe if you like that place, you should get it. She just does not get that he wants to move in with her. So apparently they don't live together. This conversation came up. Long, long time ago. Yeah. And then in the termite episode, it was unclear if he was living with her, but now we confirmed he is not. I don't buy that she wouldn't pick up on it, though. That just seemed totally unreal. Like, how would she not? They've talked about this before. Yeah. But anyway, she doesn't pick up on it, and he leaves all sad, and he's going to renew his lease. Then it's basket day. Lane has this whole plan for how she's going to do a switcheroo and go on a date with Henry via her cousin bidding on her shitty basket, and then Henry's going to call the payphone and, like, swap boys. It's it's a lot. Lane's super pumped. She's going to go on a date with Kevin. Henry. Did you do that on purpose? No. Which one's Kevin? There's no Kevin. There's no Kevin. It's time to bid on the baskets. Rory's basket comes up. Dean is going to give a good old, what, $20? I think five. Yeah, it starts low. I don't remember. But then, oh no, Jess is here and he starts bidding and it gets pretty high pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it ends up being like 80 bucks. He doesn't have the money and he's pissed that Jess bought this basket. But Rory's not going to actually eat lunch with Jess. Oh, she is because of tradition. Which is like, what? I get, I mean, yeah, they are big on the traditions in this town, and Lorelai and Rory do get into it, but it does seem like she could just assess that Dean is not happy about this and be like, sorry, Jess, good prank, but I don't want to break up with my boyfriend over this. He just made you a car. Yeah. And it embarrasses him that he doesn't have the money for this. He was also doing her a favor by coming out and bidding on her in this ridiculous thing the town does. The reason she didn't turn him down is because she wants to spend time with Jess. Yeah, yeah, that's bad. I don't think this was bad writing. I think this was she wanted to spend time with Jess, so she used the tradition angle as justification. You're right, you're right. And she's like, I I I wish I could, but I can't. So Rory reluctantly, I'm doing air quotes, you guys can't see, is going to go spend time with Jess. Meanwhile, Suki's basket comes up, which you know is going to be fabulous, delicious food, but it gets a low bid from Kirk, and then a slightly higher bid from Kirk. 
And Jackson just sits there, sullen. He doesn't bid at all. Suki's pointing at it. She's like, that's my basket, boo. He doesn't care. This is him getting a little revenge because she doesn't care about him moving in with her. Then maybe he doesn't care about her basket. But they talk about it. Through this conversation, we learn she like has thought about it, but she just doesn't want to like ruin things by escalating too quickly. Yeah, what if she farts? Oh my God. She doesn't say it, but we're thinking it. She makes a lot of food. <laughs> Yeah, we're all thinking this. She's talking about farts. But they kind of make up, so Jackson's like off to rescue the basket from Kirk. And demands the basket back. He's like, hey, it was meant for me. And Kirk's like, no. And he's like, fine, I'll pay you for it. Which we're like, you what? Yeah, you need to pay him for it <laughs> you for sure. You going to pay him for it? Like, you need to pay at minimum what he paid for it. And Kirk is like going through it like, this isn't enough carrots. None of this looks like real food. I'm like, Kirk, you don't even want it? Just give it up. He ends up, I mean, good on Kirk, because he ends, makes like $150 profit off this. Yeah. Which is going to save him like three hours at one of his four jobs that he doesn't have to work. So Jackson and Suki have a picnic. It's delicious because she's an amazing cook. Her basket is edible. Yeah, it's made of bread. They have such a great picnic, and it's outside, so they could just fart away. It's okay. <laughs> Picnics aren't inside for a reason. Yeah. Farts. Farts. <sighs> Suki's like, you know, we could talk about living together again if you want to talk about that. And then he's all like, uh, I don't think we should move in. Misdirect. Oh. We should get married. <gasps> what? So she says yes. She's like, are you pregnant? <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, but you know we'll have to live together, right? So that's their story. I'm excited for them. I want them to be so happy. Yeah. They're nice. It's nice to have a stable couple. Yeah, because it doesn't go great for some other people. For instance, Lane. She's waiting on that bench with her cousin. Phone never rings. She checks the phone to call Henry, and the phone's dead. So she runs to Lorelai, borrows her phone, which I want to point out she never gives back to Lorelai. Mm, mm-hmm. We see it later in her hand at her house. <laughs> That's funny. I was like, are we going to address the fact that she just stole Lorelai's phone? <laughs> but we don't, because there's too much going on this day. She calls Henry. He's like, yeah, I didn't know what to do. I'm sorry. He like called her house and had to lie to her mom that he was a salesman or something. Lane's like, great job. And he's like, yeah, I really want to go to prom. She's like, awesome. We can come up with like an Ocean's Eleven type scenario where we can get this done and I can go with you. And he's like, nah, I just want to go on a regular date and without having all this hiding stuff. So I asked somebody else out, which I get. Lane's being kind of dumb here. She's just like too scared to tell her mom because her mom won't be cool with it probably. But like this is the guy she's going to be coolest with. So Lane made a mistake. You got to tell your mom at some point. So she runs home, gets into a fight with her mom. Still has Lorelai's cell phone. The other bad basket situation is Lorelai. There's three men. She doesn't know, and they're all bidding in 25-cent increments. Clearly, these are the prospective Patty-chosen men who are trying to woo Lorelai through her basket. Little do they know there's crap in her basket. Yeah, it's like Pop-Tarts and Slim Jim. She won't have any part of it, so she runs to go get Luke. And I, I hate this. I, this annoys me. She gets Luke, and she's like, hey, can you come bid in my basket? And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And she's like, come on, please. And he's like, fine. Once again, she just, like, forces him to do something he doesn't want to do for her. Yeah, and this is a little shitty because it involves him spending money, too, which I assume she's not going to pay him back for. There's a list of problems. One, we know Luke hates doing these, like, traditional town things. He thinks they're all stupid. That's, like, a big plot point for him. So she drags him to do this. He also has to let someone else run the store, who we meet. Caesar. Who is not the Caesar of the future, but there's a man named Caesar there. There's a temporary Caesar, much like the original Caesar. So he's got to leave his shop, and then he has to provide the food because her basket sucks. He goes to get them food from the diner. My question is, like, what kind of food does Luke like? 
he clearly doesn't approve of junk food. But at the Bracebridge dinner, he was like, what is this gross white stuff on this soup? So, like, he doesn't like gourmet food that Suki prepares. It looks like he's just, like, eating salad with his fingers. Like, you know what I mean? What what yeah. makes him happy? I think this is supposed to be maybe romantic. Maybe there's, like, a kindling of that. What do you think? Oh, for sure. They, like, say that it's nice. Yeah. She says she likes all these traditional things that the town does. And the idea of this, like, basket thing is romantic, sort of, that, like... Someone that's got like a secret crush on you, bids on your basket, right. and then you spend a romantic lunch with them. And he's like, yeah, that sounds really nice. I hope that happens for you someday. Not applicable right now. And then he like realizes, I think, oh, shoot, maybe this is that moment and I should try to be romantic. And then they're kind of having a moment, I think, yeah. for sure. But then it's ruined by Dean. And he's like, I got to talk to you. Lorelai goes into cool mode because sometimes when she's not emotionally involved in a situation, she's pretty cool. And understands and can perceive other people's emotions pretty well and sort through them. When her own emotions are involved, forget it. But he's complaining about Jess and she's like, you seem jealous. And he kind of just vents to her about Jess being a bad dude. How he gets in fights in school all the time. And in this scene, she's like, you should just trust Rory. But I do think some of what Dean said puts a little inkling of worry in her head. Oh, for sure. So he tries to feel better. Lorelai gives him the best advice she can. It's also weird that he decides he's going to talk to Lorelai. I've thought about this a lot. Is it weird? Well, I think that in this situation, he needs someone to talk to. And maybe that would be a friend of his or a friend of Rory's. And Lane is busy. Mm. And Rory's other best friend is Lorelai. It is weird to talk to someone's mom, but this is not a normal mother-daughter right. situation. So Jess decides they're going to have their picnic in the middle of the bridge that Luke pushed Jess off of earlier in the season. That was fun. He mentions it. Rory's all like, oh, why'd you do this? Oh, why'd you do this? Jess lies. He says, oh, I was just playing a joke. I wanted to see him mad. It, it got out of hand. It wasn't trying to do any, any of this. But it's a lie. He wants to spend time with Rory. And she goes from being mad at him to, like, immediately flirting. They bond over Jess hating Anne Rand. Uh, and they decide, since Rory's picnic is so terrible, that they're going to go grab pizza. And then maybe you go to a bookstore. And then they spend the whole day together, which is, uh... But when Rory gets up to leave the bridge, she drops... Her Dean bracelet. Did you catch that? I did catch that. And so did Jess. He takes it home. So when Rory comes home from her fabulous day with Jess, and it's nighttime, by the way, now, her mom confronts her and is kind of like, hey, uh, seems like you spent a lot of time with Jess today. Like, you know, your boyfriend's really worried. And I don't really like Jess. You know, he gets into fights at school. What? How'd you know about those fights at school, ma? She explains that Dean talked to her. Rory doesn't like that. They have a big fight. Yeah, Lorelai's like, I know what kind of guy Jess is. And I think she she probably does. Seems like Lorelai had her share of guys. Yeah. Rory leaves. Rory's just going to go on an angry night walk. The next scene is Friday night dinner. So like a whole week passes. The girls aren't talking. Rory gets a text from a page. Her, her purse beeps. Lorelai's like, who is that? Who's texting you? I think she says it's Dean, but we don't really know if she's telling the truth or not. Rory goes and sits into what we think is Richard's sad chair. That's just where you sit when you're sad. That's where he sat in the last episode. Yeah, it's the last time we saw him. Maybe he disappeared in that chair like Yoda. I guess we don't say where he is. We do know he's joined a cigar club, which is gross to Emily. Trying new things. Cigars. Like, shut up. You wanted him out of the house. Just let him do this. She calls Lane. It's been a week. She's still in her bed. I don't know why she didn't call Lane on her mom's phone, because she's got her mom's phone still. <laughs> Mrs. Kim says she can't talk. It's after nine. Which I'm like, they're eating dinner this late? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, because a lot of times they go back to Stars Hollow and then, like, eat again at Luke's after Friday night dinner, which I don't imagine he's open, like, crazy late. Let's be honest. The time in the show is not great. It doesn't yeah, really match yeah, up. Yeah, it doesn't. But Lane doesn't want to talk. And then she tells her mom all about Henry. And 
I'm torn. It was sort of funny when her mom's like, you sure he's Korean? But she says it one too many times. And it's like, your daughter's like crying in front of you and you're still saying you sure he's Korean? Yeah, because it was like a nice moment where she realized like her daughter was sad and I should do something. But then, yeah, I wish she wouldn't have said it that third time that she would have like said something sweet or comforting to Lane or just like patted her on the back even and not said anything. I just want to take a step back here. I feel like some people might listen to this and think like, you guys are being too critical. It's funny that she said it three times. But I think that you can write it so it's funny and it's not ridiculous. Yeah, I think if she said like, he was Korean, would have been better. Like still rule of three. Yeah. But sweet and still a little funny. But also, are you sure he's Korean? Like, of course your daughter would know if he's Korean. She should have like walked up and be like, he was Korean? He was Korean. Like to herself maybe or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry. We know some people probably love that joke. I liked it the first two times. We're writers. We like to tweak. Emily's like, what's going on? But she totally agrees with Lorelai. She's like, I'm 100% on your side. And then, of course, that's like Lorelai's kryptonite. Like, ugh, ugh. Agree with my mother? I'm wrong. This was fun because for a moment they were like bonding. She was like venting to her mom about this and she like poured her some more wine. Yeah. Emily's basically like, she's just a stupid child. You can't trust her judgment. She needs your help with everything. And this just like makes something click in Lorelai's face. She's like, oh no, 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 I don't agree with that. She goes to talk to Rory in the other room and basically says the exact opposite of whatever Emily just said. Yeah. She does that like weird Charlie Brown sad walk that she does. It's like Lorelai like makes a face and like shuffles. I know exactly what you mean. That's like Lorelai's go-to when she's embarrassed, sad. She doesn't want to be overbearing like her mom. She's like, just be careful, Rory. I trust you. Lorelai says that Dean wigged. Now Lorelai's saying it. They go home and we immediately see that that trust is probably misplaced because she calls Jess. And it's a flirty, flirty convo. Super flirty. Back on the Anne Rand stuff. Which is the hottest erotica. If you haven't read Atlas Shrugged, it is going to get you hot and sweaty. I haven't read it, so you could be telling the truth. It's about bus drivers that know how to work it. What's funny is that that is technically correct. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I think that she's into Jess. Obviously, right? She's into Jess. Yeah. And there's going to be drama because things are going well with her and Dean. Not right now. And I'm pretty sure she's going to leave Dean for Jess or cheat on Dean with Jess. Almost certainly that's going to happen in my mind. But I don't blame her because Dean isn't smart. Some would argue that they've dumbed Dean down. Dean used to be really into books. Did he? He had trouble reading a lot of the books that she gave him. That's true. Yeah. But that's interesting of the dumbing him down thing that you mentioned. But I guess all along he's not really had like post high school plans. Which is fine. When I say he's not, he's dumb, he's just not as smart as Rory. Rory's like very smart, very well read, and there's nothing wrong with not being that. But when you're looking for a partner, at least I find that like right now I'm looking um, for some... (laughs) It's just... You want to talk to someone who stimulates you intellectually. Yeah. And I stimulate you intellectually, don't I, baby? You do. And if we could get the physical stimulation down, things would be set between us. But right now, it's mostly the intellectual. (laughs) There's not a ton of examples of this at this time, but I feel like he doesn't always seem so excited about her going away to college. Yeah. Or he's like, no, what are we doing tonight? Not like, oh, Rory, how's Harvard stuff going? Right. Which... I think they're doing a good job of making him seem undesirable. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are attracted to bad boys, bad women. You're attracted to this like element of danger. So that's already there. That's just natural. But you add in the fact that Jess is going to talk about the books you're interested in at a level that's comparable to your own. I get it. And he's so cute. I, get, I saw his pecs. But Dean grew the fuck up this season too. So. Yeah, she's got two hotties. 
Yeah, she's got a dumb hottie and a shorter smart hottie. So I get it, even though I, I do think that it is emotional cheating. Mm-hmm. It's not physical cheating. That phone call was a big emotional cheating step forward. I almost wonder if it wasn't just that paged her because of the call she made. Right, that's the question. We'll never know. So do you think this is a good episode? Yeah, I think I do. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying about the Lorelai and Luke stuff being a little annoying considering where they're at. It feels like they will they or won't thing with them, but they're really stalling for some reason. It seems more like a will she or won't she decide to be with him. Yeah. I mean, he's he's ready, but he is also not like pulling the trigger. Like he's bad at just being forthright with what he wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any whose ways, the Suki and Jackson stuff was adorable. Mm-hmm. Even though Rory's maybe going down a dangerous path, I thought the her and Jess stuff was nice. I don't always love Jess, but other than being kind of a pest to Dean in this episode, he wasn't such a bad boy. Yeah, I have uh, I've really shit on Jess a lot, and I stand by those thoughts. But I'm also aware that she would still fall for a guy that has those faults. Yeah, like, I'm the only one that understands this guy. He's yeah. a good guy. He's just not fitting in right. Yeah, you know, I get why she's how she's justifying this. Yeah. And... Like the Kirk and Jackson thing was kind of funny, actually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say it was a pretty good episode. I don't think it was as funny as some of the other ones. True. But it had a lot of drama and, like I said, seeds for future drama. Oh, and even though we kind of picked apart that Lane and her mom moment, I do think that was kind of fun to see her just like be honest with her mom Mm -hmm. about her feelings Mm -hmm. for once. I I think we were pretty much in agreement about this one. Yeah. And now for a segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharged. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're going to discuss it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed, Season 2, Episode 13, Animal Pragmatism, Phoebe attempts to reverse the spell that turned the animals into good-looking dates for her study group, creating a virtual zoo at the club. What? Woo! Okay, so... Who turned the... Animals into good-looking dates. Yeah, I mean, that's the big part of the episode, right? That happened first? Yeah, she's just, the the plot is her reversing this? Yeah, it probably starts with, like, her at the club, like, chatting up some guy, he's super hot, but then he starts, like, eating his own tie, and she's like, oh, you're a goat. And then he mess, and then cut to their intro song, and then we're dealing with this, I guess. The thing is, though, someone did this for her study group? <laughs> like, this will be fun. These ladies study too much. They need dates. Yeah, why do you need attractive people for a study group? So I'm guessing as they're reversing the spell, then they just have their hands full because there's animals all over at the club. Yeah. But the real question is, will they get their studying done while this happens? And I think um, at the end of the day, they don't, but they learn a lot about animal husbandry. And there's no chance animal husbandry is not a joke that's made in this episode. Oh, 100% right. I'm surprised it's not just called that. Also, probably Piper did this on accident. She's not good with spells or with men. It's a lot. It's complicated. It's a funny one. It's weird that you say it's a funny one. This is actually a very dramatic, serious one. Oh, um, I didn't get that from it. I got yeah. It's can really be interpreted two ways. What? How uh, did it? What did it touch you? Uh, it touched me uh, on the heartstrings. Obviously, it's clear that Phoebe falls for the goat man. Yeah, like they just work so well together. You know, like she eats a can of soup. And then he eats the can because she doesn't like the can part. It doesn't take a lot to get to Brian's heartstrings. No, but it doesn't work out at the end of the day because he always wants to stand on her back and it's it's a lot. It's a lot. This has been Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed. 
So, Stacey, we also watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Surprise. Surprise is about Buffy's birthday going horribly, horribly wrong when Spike and Drusilla resurrect a very powerful demon. And some things happen with Angel. <laughs> that sounds like a charmed IMDb description of this. <laughs> it does. And some stuff happens with Angel. Cool, cool, cool. So, the episode does not start with Giles telling us the deal with the Slayer. What happened? Where'd that go? Surprise. That's that's the surprise? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that gone forever? Uh, I don't know. They're just like, yeah, we said it like 20 sometimes. They got it. If you're this far into the season, you better know what's going on. It's true. It starts with Buffy sleeping. She has a dream about Drusilla. Drusilla's at the bronze. Willow is like speaking a different language and she's got a little monkey. Her mom is there and she's like holding a cup and she says, you think you're ready? And she drops the cup in the saucer and it breaks. And then Drusilla kills Angel and says, happy birthday, Buffy. So that's not good. Buffy wakes up. She freaks out. That was a really bad dream. So then she goes to Angel's house to make sure that he's not dead, I guess. And she's like really worried that Drew might still be alive. And Angel's like, well, not all dreams come true, Buffy. But she like has a feeling that this one might. Some of hers do. Yeah, it's happened before. She's got to go. It's morning. She's got to get to school. But they can't stop kissing. And she says something like, it's nice to see you first thing in the morning. And he's like, well, it's bedtime for me. And she's like, well, then I guess I like seeing you at bedtime. And he's like, this seems so inconsequential. Because she immediately is just like, oh, that was a stupid thing to say. But then it, it maybe is about sex. It's about her maybe wanting to sleep over. I mean, they've spent hours making out. Yeah. The idea of sex should not be that crazy or taboo to them. Yeah. And then they go on to say, like, the part where I have to leave keeps getting harder. And then he's like, me too. We don't know if he has a dick yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We know he can't have kids. (laughs) We don't know. I guess it's implied that they are talking about, is it time for us to have sex? Like, bedtime isn't the only time you can have sex. Like, I don't know why bedtime... You can have sex different places, different times. When we met years ago, Stacey, I didn't know any of this. You explained all of this yeah. to me. I was like, Brian, I want to go to sleep. We can do this, you know, during lunch. And I was like, no, only bedtime. I get that things are heating up and they should have this conversation, but I just didn't get it from the words that they said. It seemed kind of out of nowhere. Like, I didn't know what they were talking about until, like, she goes and talks to Willow at school the next day and seems like she's trying to figure out with Willow if she's ready to have sex. And she's like, I think I am. But, I mean, when you're making out with someone, like, all the time, sex is, like, the next step. Like, you're thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this is about, is she going to move in with him? It, It seems like it's sex. They don't say that. Right. They were talking about children last episode. I mean, it's clear that that's on the tip of their tongue. And also on the tip of their tongues are each other's tongues. Yes. It just occurs to me, Angel is a vampire. His heart doesn't beat. He's cold. I'm fine with the fact that he gets an erection, okay? Like, obviously he does. Me too. (laughs) Wait, what? It's obviously he does? Just look close in the scenes. No, but it would be cold. His dick? Yeah, if his body and skin is cold, so would his dick be. Like very cold or just wouldn't be warm? It would be room temp. That's fine. I don't need a hot, steamy dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what if the room's cold? Where it's going, it doesn't need warmth. (laughs) I like the idea that he just put some of those, like, hand-warming pads on there before they have sex. Angel, what are you doing? Uh, I just, uh, I have to. I want to be warm for you, baby. I want to be warm for you, baby. 
Anyway, this conversation with Willow gives her the confidence to talk to Oz. Oh my gosh, she likes his hands, and it's so scary to talk to him because he's a senior. Don't worry about it, Willow. And she talks to him, and he's like, you know, I think I'm going to ask you out, but I'm nervous. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Such a weirdo. Good he's fit. funny, though. Yeah, they're, they're a good fit. And then she asks him to go to the party as her date. This is a surprise party we're planning for Buffy. Did I mention that? Yeah, it's Buffy's birthday, everybody. Xander's done a lot to win me over since the pack. Yeah. But he does regress a little in this mm-hmm. episode. Buffy shows up and he's like, I feel a pre-birthday spanking coming on. When was that ever appropriate between friends? No, never. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of like guy friends I was really comfortable with and I just don't think they would have said that. Yeah, it's just like such a weirdo, creepy thing to say. Especially she's in a relationship. Yeah, that's just like a, a friendly cat call. Yeah. Buffy tells Giles about her dream. The phrase maxi wig gets thrown around here somewhere. God. But yes, Drew is also planning a party, which doesn't say it's her birthday, but Brian say it is. Drew's back, everybody. She's not dead. Either Spike. Spike's not doing great. He's in a wheelchair. His face is a little burnt. I guess it takes him a while to heal from organ failure. <laughs> Drew's fine because she's stronger now because of the ritual with yeah. Angel. She's just sort of dancing by herself. And she's like, this will be the best party ever, because it'll be the last. What does that mean, Drusilla? Joyce is going to take Buffy to the mall, which Buffy seems excited about. I don't know why. Last time that went badly. They were just at the mall. But then Joyce drops a plate, and she says the same thing that she said in the dream. Mm. And Buffy's like, fuck. She doesn't say that, because this was on at like 7 p.m. Okay, and then this next thing that happens is... (laughs) Jenny Callender in her classroom, going about her classroom business. And then this like fucking Transylvanian hillbilly (laughs) sneaks up on her and gives just like so much information in a short amount of time. Apparently Jenny is not what we thought. And she has not been doing a good job of doing her responsibility to her people. The elder woman says Angel's pain is lessening. So so there's an elder woman, I guess. And she keeps track of Angel's pain. (laughs) Jenny's like, yeah, yeah, there's a girl, so she's making him happy. And the Transylvanian hillbilly's like, that can't be. I don't remember how he talks. Well. (laughs) He looks like he should sound like that. That's not exactly how he sounds. (laughs) It's more like, do you think you're Jenny Calendar? We're trying not to be offensive. Jenny assures him that Angel is suffering, but he's also making amends. He saved her life. He's a good guy now. And he's like, this ain't good enough. He destroyed the most beloved daughter of our tribe. What? Who? He's like, his pain needs to be eternal as ours is. So Jenny and this man are, I assume, mortal beings. So this, like, woman that Angel killed presumably a long time ago, probably before either of these two people were born. Mm Mm-hmm. They didn't know her, nor were they necessarily related to her. It was just someone in their tribe. I'm just going to say, like, if my ancestor from, like, hundreds of years ago was killed, I wouldn't care at all. No offense, great, 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 great grandma. Well, I get caring and remembering, but, like, there's an elder woman whose job it is to keep a tally of angel suffering. Yeah, like, hold a grudge much? This is just so, like, how big of a deal is this that you need to, like, dedicate your modern-day life to this? Exactly. How many of these people's modern-day lives are being negatively impacted by their responsibility to ensure that Angel suffers for eternity. You think you're Jenny Calendar now? 
You are still Jana of the Calderaj people, a gypsy. That's the accent. Yeah, that's it. And he's like, you need to break him and Buffy up. Now he's a valid girl. <laughs> and she calls him uncle and tells him she'll work on it. There's just such a big information dump here. Oh, yeah. On the one hand, I think the writing is kind of good because now we know that Jenny Calendar is here on purpose with a mission. Before, it was like, you're a techno-pagan? What's that? Why are you, like, shoehorning yourself into these plots sometimes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now, retroactively, we realize that that was all intentional. Knowing that she's not just some random, like, techno-witch that, like, fell into the Buffy crowd, but actually, like, someone who tried to infiltrate it changes things. And I I, I like that writing. But she seems to, like, like this life. So I'm just oh, wondering yeah. what percentage of her life is gypsy grudge dealing with mm-hmm. and what percentage of her life is loving Giles and teaching students about computers. I understand. I hope she really likes Giles. We'll find out. Giles is going to read up on Drew. How about we did that when she came to town? (laughs) Yeah, why did you not read about that earlier, dude? It's a bit sexist that you just read about Spike. Buffy's stressed about her dreams coming true, so maybe we shouldn't have this party. And Giles is like, no, we are having it. Okay, Giles. I like that. Yeah, I guess that was nice. He cares about Buffy's, like, happiness. Yeah, it's breaking from his, like, strict watcherness, but also admitting that, like, you know, she could die at any moment. Let's have fun. That's true. Let her have a minute. So Jenny sneaks up on Buffy in the hallway. She's like, there's been a change of plans. Giles wants you to meet him near his house. I, I-, I can drive you there. Jenny, what are you doing? So she drives her. She's like, we're going to the bronze because they're, I guess, in the back of the bronze at like the loading dock where there just happens to be the klepto vampire from a few episodes ago and his buddy doing some kind of loading. And Buffy fights them and like knocks one of them through the wall of the bronze and, and stakes him. And everyone yells, surprise, it's Buffy's party at the bronze. They rented out the whole bronze for a four person birthday party. Why not just do it at Giles' house? It bothers me in movies when, like, everyone is invited to a party. Mm Because, like, who are those people in the background? You don't hang out with them. Why are they at your party? So I like that random people weren't there. But then, like, yeah, do it somewhere smaller. Mm -hmm. But Oz, obviously, is there because Willow brought him. And he's like, what? Why did that guy turn to dust? This was funny. Sandra's like, vampires are real. A lot of them live in Sunnydale. Willow will tell you. And he seems very accepting. Yeah. Welcome to the gang, Oz. So then Jenny was a misdirect, I guess. We thought she was going to, like, take Buffy somewhere bad, which she kind of did. She drove her to vampires, but I, I think she was just literally driving her to the party. Yeah, I think it was a misdirect. But Jenny brings in the box that the vampires were dealing with. They open the box, and it contains a loose arm that strangles Buffy, which Angel stops. And Angel immediately recognizes this arm. You know, just a dismembered arm. He he knows the man it belongs to. Yeah. He's just one of those guys that never forgets a dismembered arm. And he's like, oh, this is the demon brought forth to rid the world of the plague of humanity. And this demon is called the Judge. And no weapon forged can kill the Judge. Yeah, they sent an army to fight him and most of them died, but they managed to dismember him and they buried him all over the earth. It seems as if Drusilla is bringing all these parts together so she can bring this guy back and bring forth Armageddon. Hence why she said this will be the last party. I don't know why she wants the world to end. That seems... Seems bad if you eat people, which is an interesting thing that we'll talk about in another episode. Oh, that's exciting. I'm always with villains in movies and TV shows in general. I'm like, why do you want to destroy the world? You live in the world. Like, you want it to just be you and boring? And do you want to die? Well, it's like the movie Daybreakers with vampires, too. It's like, you can't kill all the people, even if you don't like them, because you need to eat them. 
So Angel decides he's going to go hide this arm so that she can't reassemble him. And he's going to do it in like Asia. He's going to go by boat tonight. And Buffy's like, but it's my birthday. Is she from the girl from Big Mouth? Lola. Lola. <laughs> That's my birthday, Angel. Wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> wiggin, wiggin. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen Big Mouth, just skip that part. And Jenny's like, yeah, 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 Angel, I'll drive you. I'll drive you to the docks. And we're like, we get it, Jenny. You have a car. <laughs> She's pumped about this, like, perfect opportunity to separate the two. That leads me to believe, like, is Jenny, like, actually bad or she just... She doesn't seem bad. It's just her job to make sure Angel's not happy. Well, it's like Gilmore Girls, right? It's like... It is? Yeah, she's just a, a woman who lives a regular life, but like, just like Stars Hollow, her community has these like really kind of quirky traditions, like ensuring the eternal suffering of an ex-enemy. So she's just trying to do what tradition mandates. But no baskets. Then we're at the docks, and Sunnydale, I guess, has docks? Is it on the ocean? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. Okay. Angel's all like, I'll be back, Buffy. And Buffy's all like, when, though? And then he gives her a birthday gift from his people. It's like a, a ring with a heart on it. It's a sign of devotion. And if you wear the heart facing you, it means you belong to someone. Mm-hmm. It's an Irish thing. They have a nice heartfelt goodbye. And he's about to tell her he loves her. Well, he's about to tell her that he has some kind of feeling. He just says, I. But then the nerd vampire shows up and they fight over the box. Buffy gets thrown into the water and Angel, 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 Angel jumps in after her. I guess we don't know that Buffy can swim. I'm going to assume that her and Giles have covered swimming in their exercise classes. <laughs> yeah. Angel, you got to get the box. I, I get the instinct, babe. If you got thrown in the water, I would not save you because I can't swim. Yeah, that well. would just make more problems. <laughs> like, Brian and me, help me now. <laughs> but if, like, the world is going to end, I feel like your superhuman girlfriend will probably fare fine in this water right by the shore. Yeah. So then the gang goes back to the library. Angel's been gone like one minute and Xander's already plotting how to sleep with Buffy. To be fair, he plotted this in season one. But now Buffy's single again. Activate, plot, sleep with Buffy. They read about the judge and they read that he can burn the humanity out of you by just touching you. But Buffy's having another dream and Drew is killing Angel again. Her and Buffy are wearing the same white dress. Was that intentional? Is that important? I don't know. We didn't talk about that, but... Birthday dress. Something I noticed. So Drew's having her party, but because Angel fucked up, the nerd returns with all the pieces, they assemble them, and out comes Luke from the pilot. What? Why not get a new actor? He's blue now. I don't know that I would have known that it was him. You told me he was going to be back, so I was kind of always looking for him. I don't have a problem with this actor by any means. It's just weird. I mean, he does have a lot of facial prosthetics going on, but it's still like, I mean, I can tell he's the same guy. Yeah. Again, we're binging it, so it's a little different. He says that these vampires stink of humanity. They share affection and jealousy, and that nerd one has feelings, and he reads. (laughs) Like, evil people read. Jess reads. Is, Is this something more powerful demons look down upon vampire demons for? Um, I can tell you right now that yes. Oh, because Spike's like, yeah, so we're having a good time. Shut the fuck up, bro. And I'm like, Spike, careful. He's evil. I'm also surprised that the judge gives a shit what Spike thinks. Does he even know that Drusilla brought him? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense in the regards that the the judge, if he's pure evil, would not have any sense of debt or loyalty to the people that brought him together. He also has no fear of them because he cannot be killed by any weapon forged. So he burns the nerd. All his insides kind of burn out through his outsides, and yeah. he's, he's gone. Drew loves this. She wants more. 
Buffy's dream informs her where these people are. I'm not really sure how. She It's like in a random factory, and she knew where that was from this two-second dream. It's probably where the master was. She's like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Um, but they got to go. They got to stop them before it's too late. Well, it is. Buffy and Angel go, and the judge sees them up in the rafters because they're not at all hidden. I don't know why they thought they couldn't see them. I think he senses their humanity, but you're also right. They're not hidden at all. He's going to kill both Buffy and Angel. Angel says, don't touch him. But she does. She kicks at him with her feet. And then Angel knocks down like a stack of TVs that they had from, I guess, Spike's AV club. And that like crushes him temporarily and they escape through like the sewer. It like opens a hole in the ground, which I don't buy at all. It like breaks through the concrete. No, it's some TVs. There's some old TVs. Those some are old heavy. concrete, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So they get to Angel's apartment. They're all wet and sexy. Buffy's got a cut that Angel needs to check and her clothes are coming off. And Angel is able to get out that he loves her now. Do you think she like sort of lied about the cut to get him to touch her? Could be. She seemed uncomfortable that he was going to watch her change though. Right. But then she's like, I've got a cut. And he's like, let me see it. And then he's like, oh, it looks healed. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that was a trick. That was like Rory pretending she didn't want to go on the picnic with Jess. But they say they love each other and they act like this is bad or like they, they shouldn't be doing that. I'm not really sure why. And I then, mean, it's freezing out. Well, they're inside. <laughs> I'm just saying his boner is probably just oh, like an right. icicle right now. And then just like so much more kissing, so much kissing. And he says, maybe we shouldn't. I don't know if that's just like a, I just want to make sure you're ready thing or if that like if there is a reason that they shouldn't. But mm. maybe that's a question that will be answered. He probably is like, I'm going to be her first. That's a big deal to her. Yeah. And I assume they have sex. They wake up next to each other under the covers and he looks pretty naked, which is important because he's awoken by thunder and he runs out like fully clothed. He seems to be in a lot of pain. They didn't show him getting dressed. I guess he could have, but it seems weird that he would be like, oh, I got to get outside. But first I got to put on my pants and my shirt and tuck it in and put on my jacket and do my hair. Uh, Socks, wear my socks, wear my socks. So I thought because he's dressed, maybe what we're seeing is Buffy's dream and Buffy's like, dreaming that he's in pain. I think it was just a mistake. Okay. And then it says to be continued. Do you think this is a good episode, Brian? I do. I think it's a lot like What's My Line in that it's a huge amount of setup. Yeah, I mean, that Jenny Calendar scene was an episode in itself. Yeah. It's a lot of setup. And I think a lot of it's going to pay off for the next episode. The next episode will really set the rest of the season. The next episode, I have just like thoughts and predictions. Mm -hmm. It's called Innocence. So I wonder if like them having sex didn't somehow ruin something that was like protecting Angel or like something with his curses like rubbing off because he Mm -hmm. rubbed off, you know? Also... She did touch him. She touched the judge. So maybe that somehow did something to her and she transferred that to him. Just thoughts. Just mm-hmm. things I'm thinking about. Like you were saying, it it's a lot of setup. So it's like, what happened in this episode exactly? Yeah, it's hard to be like, this episode was great because it felt like half an episode. Uh-huh. And there were some sloppy things in it. I feel like the Jenny Calendar reveal was good, but it was a lot all at once. But I actually don't think it was too sloppily handled, minus the accent. On my part. (laughs) Yeah. 30% of this episode was kissing. Yeah, so was last week's. I know. They're so long. I also think there was some real sloppy writing when it came to the vampires just like loading the arm right outside the bronze where their birthday happened to be. That could have been different. She could have been on patrol and found the vampire somewhere. Just finding him there is like, how incredibly convenient. Yeah, why was the arm at the bronze? Like, that wasn't the docks. Where did it get sent from? Was it in the liquor order? 
And also vampires, you can do stuff inconspicuously. Like you don't have to spend every minute like hopping on top of trucks like, I'm a vampire. Ah, Look at my face. I'm doing bad stuff. Like you can just be a guy with a big briefcase and no one's going to think twice about it. A lot of them seem kind of dumb. The smart guy was there. He could have been like, hey guys, let's lay low for once, please. Angel could have got a tip that there was something happening. It just seemed too convenient. Like, they were just like, uh, this scene's got to be faster. But that's my one criticism. Otherwise, I think this is a pretty solid episode. Yeah. Which episode do you think was better? I'm going to say Gilmore Girls. Baby, you're allowed to be wrong. (laughs) I just think it's hard to give it to a half an episode. I get that. And there's a few things that bugged me about it. Mm -hmm. Or not that much bugged me about Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls moved a lot of stuff ahead. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, will, but I don't have the answers to a lot of questions yet. Yeah. But it was a very good setup. It's a hard decision. They're both good. They're both good. What do you think? I'm going to go with Buffy, although I think Gilmore Girls was a fine, good episode. Mm -hmm. I just, once again, think Buffy had a couple funny moments in it. uh, One or two more than Gilmore did for me. Yeah. And I think it moved the plot along a lot, although I can see how it may not seem like it did since I already know what's coming forward. Yeah, yeah, you don't know all the answers. I I did like the Jenny thing, as as silly as that scene was. The reveal that she's something more was fun. So far, you and I seem to be siding with our own shows. I think a lot of matchups this season have been either both pretty good episodes or both kind of bad episodes. Mm -hmm. So in that case, when it's sort of a tie, it's easier to side with your own show. Yeah. But I don't think this is a bad Buffy. I did struggle here. I don't think this is like a knockout of the park for Buffy compared to Gilmore. I thought Gilmore was a a solid episode. I'm super excited for part two. If you guys want to watch along, next week we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer season two, episode 14, Innocence. And we'll be watching Gilmore Girls season two, episode 14, It Should Have Been Lorelei. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. What do you think the monkey meant? And don't reference that stuff from season seven. Did you recognize Luke, the blue one from the vampire show? Who would you want to bid on your basket? What would you put in your basket? Is basket a metaphor for vagina? What do you uh, think the deal with Angel's dick is? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer where we post all kinds of interactive and behind-the-scenes content. And for comedy content not related to our podcast, follow us at Brian and Stacy. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. Or you can send us a good old-fashioned email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. If you like what you're hearing, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and if you do, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. Happy birthday, everybody. Happy birthday, everybody. Happy birthday, everybody.